seven more Chinese companies on the U.S. exports blacklist, most of them in the aerospace sector. A former Apple engineer pleading guilty for stealing trade secrets, waiting for him up to a decade of jail time. An urgent appeal for help, a daughter in New York afraid for her father's life in China after getting abducted by police for meditating. China's largest lake turned to grassy plains, that's amid extreme drought and a scorching heat wave. China's financial hub goes dark, the dim skyline is an attempt to save on power. And a glimpse into Canada's Confucius Institutes, we look at how many are still operating. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. The U.S. is tightening its curb on technology exports to China. Seven Chinese companies, mostly from the aerospace sector, have recently been added to Washington's export blacklist, meaning any exports to these companies will need extra approval from U.S. authorities. Here's more. Washington added seven more Chinese companies to its export blacklist on Tuesday, citing national security concerns. The Commerce Department said these companies were using U.S. exports in support of China's military modernization efforts. Most of them are state-owned Chinese aerospace entities like China Aerospace Science and Technology Corporation and China Academy of Space Technology, among others. Stephen Azell is Vice President of Global Innovation Policy at the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation, or ITIF. He said the U.S. needs nuanced export control. We certainly should have the ability to sell semiconductors in the Chinese market that are going to things like air conditioners or refrigerators. But for technologies that are not globally commercially or militarily available, where U.S. companies do hold the cutting edge in that technology, whether it's in avionics or artificial intelligence or quantum computing, then, yeah, we should look very specifically at ensuring those types of technologies uh, can't be sold uh, in China. Azell also pointed out that's not easy because of China's military civil fusion policy known as MCF. The U.S. State Department describes the policy as aggressive. The key part of MCF is to eliminate barriers between China's civilian and military industrial sectors. As a result, every technology owned by private companies can be taken by Chinese military. In order to achieve its goal of global military dominance, the Chinese Communist Party has been accused of stealing and reverse engineering cutting-edge technology from around the world. And aerospace technology is one of Beijing's targets under MCF. Being on the export control list means all U.S. exports to these companies will need extra approval. But recent trade data shows the U.S. Commerce Department approves almost all tech export requests to China. Sales of certain critical technologies to the country have also seen an increase. A former Apple employee has pleaded guilty to stealing trade secrets. Zhang Xiaolang worked in Apple's car division with a team that designed circuit boards for sensors. Circuit designs are one of the most valuable industry trade secrets. Apple had accused Zhang of downloading files about its car project, including a circuit board design. Zhang was arrested back in 2018. Federal agents managed to stop him at the San Jose airport just as he was about to fly back to China. After pleading guilty, he could face up to 10 years in prison and a $250,000 fine. An urgent plea for help from an anxious daughter living in New York. Her father's life is in danger in China after being taken into police custody for doing meditation. Let's take a closer look. 
A New York resident is fearing for her father's life in China. Her father Zhang Ming was abducted by Chinese police for practicing a peaceful spiritual meditation system called Falun Gong. I just learned that my father's blood pressure is shooting up very high, over 200. From a medical perspective, his life is on the line. Also, he's not in a good mental state. Police often go interrogate him, and he's under great pressure. Asked about her biggest fear. What I worry about the most right now is that I could lose my father. She already lost her mother to the hands of the Chinese regime. Zhang's parents both practice Falun Gong, a spiritual meditation based on the principles of truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance. The practice became immensely popular in China in the 90s. At the time, over 70 million people were practicing it, including Zhang's father. He stopped smoking and drinking after he picked up the practice, and he started to live a very disciplined life. His health also improved a lot, and he follows righteous principles when handling things. But the regime launched a nationwide persecution campaign against the practice in 1999. Since then, millions have been detained and tortured. At least 4,000 have been killed. On top of this, Beijing pumped out hate propaganda against the practice using state-controlled media. Up through today, information about the practice is strictly censored on the Chinese internet. Under this context, Zhang's mother went to distribute flyers about Falun Gong to the public, hoping to dispel misconceptions and explain what the practice really is. But in 2013, she was taken into police custody for her actions. Chinese police beat her up. They also stomped on her feet until they were bruised. She was also confined to a metal chair for a long time. At first, police originally wanted to send her to a detention center. But after checking her health, doctors said her life was in danger. Her blood pressure and blood sugar were very high. She could die in detention. So her mother was sent home. I remember it was raining that day. Me and my father had to help her walk because she couldn't do it on her own. She was very weak and her body was swollen. But that didn't spell the end of police surveillance on the family. Police kept monitoring us. When we left home for work or groceries, police officers would tell us that they'd like to arrest us at any time. They even said that they would imprison my mother once her health saw any improvement. Soon, Zhang's father was fired from his job. My mother was under great mental pressure. She didn't know what the police would do next. Three months after being taken into custody, Zhang's mother passed away. She was 52. Before her passing, she told me to stick to the right principles and not give up on being a good person, because Falun Gong didn't do anything wrong. It teaches people to practice truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance. Even though the regime is going after the practice, we cannot be silent about the truth, nor can we stop speaking out because of the persecution. She hoped that I could leave China, leave that place one day if I got the opportunity. That's what she told me. 
Zhang escaped China in 2014 and now works as a graphic designer in New York. But she had to leave her father behind because he couldn't get a visa. I really hope the U.S. government can speak out and call on the Chinese regime to stop persecuting my father and other Falun Gong practitioners. Hopefully the international pressure can help get my father released. Zhang's father is currently detained in Jinggu police station in Dandong, a city in China's northeastern Liaoning province. NTD reached out to the State Department but did not immediately receive a reply. Next, an update on the heat wave scorching parts of China. It's causing major drought in some places, including the country's largest freshwater lake. Chinese state broadcaster CCTV showed comparison images of Pyongyang Lake taken by satellite, one from late April and the other from August. While these two images show a five-day difference from August 16th to the 21st, the lake covered over 1,500 square miles in April. Now it extends only around 230 square miles. Poyang Lake is located in one of the Yangtze River's floodplains in southeast China's Jiangxi province. It's often described as China's kidney for the way it helps regulate the nation's water supply. According to CCTV, the lake now is nearly 70 percent smaller than its average size over the last 10 years. Drone footage and images reveal that in some places, the lake now looks more like grasslands. Swath of China remained under the highest level heat advisory Tuesday, marking the 12th day in a row. Forecasters say the heat wave is expected to let up in parts of central China by Wednesday and in southwestern China alongside the Yangtze River in roughly a week. Shanghai's famous skyline lights went dark on Monday and Tuesday. It's part of efforts to save on power. That's as southwestern China extends curbs on electricity use amid the region's ongoing heat wave. The lights went out in Shanghai's Riverside Bund area and parks of the financial district, including the city's landmark, the Oriental Pearl Tower. The area has been struggling amid dwindling hydropower output and surging household electricity demand during the heat wave. The darkened skyline comes after the city took heavy criticism on Chinese social media platform Weibo. Users blamed Shanghai for indirectly causing a power cut in parts of Sichuan province. That's because of overuse of electricity. Power generation provinces like Sichuan province have been affected by the pandemic and power generation must have been affected. If our Shanghai government imposes consumption restrictions, it will help ease the supply of electricity. Another resident noted that switching off the skyline is also good for the environment. Now, we'd like to take a moment to answer a question from our audience. One viewer wrote in asking whether there are Confucius Institutes operating in Canada. Just in case you need a refresher, Beijing touts the state-funded Confucius Institutes as language and culture exchange programs. They partner with schools and universities overseas, but have been accused of trying to expand the Chinese Communist Party's ideology and influence. According to our own investigation, right now at least nine Confucius Institutes, or CIs, are operating in Canada. One inside the country's Brock University closed in 2020, another in British Columbia's Institute of Technology closed in 2019. Earlier, the Toronto District School Board voted to end its CI partnership in 2024. New Brunswick intends to phase its CI partnership out by 2022, when its current contract expires.
Some of those still running have partnered with local public school boards, including the Edmonton and Coquitlam school districts in British Columbia. The rest operate in universities or colleges, like the University of Waterloo, Carleton University in Ottawa, and Seneca College in Toronto. Another in St. Mary's University in Nova Scotia recently rebranded. It's now called the Confucius China Studies Program. Most agreements between CIs and their educational partners ignore academic freedom. With the CIs asking schools to abide by Chinese laws and Beijing's teaching framework. Numbers of new Confucius Institutes opening in Canada saw a surge between 2007 and 2012. They began to decline later amid fears about academic freedom violations and potential Chinese espionage activities. No new CIs have opened in Canada since 2012. A former CI teacher, Sonia Zhao, disclosed that she was trained to repeat Beijing's narratives if students ask about topics China deems sensitive, like Tibet. She was also asked to sign a contract that excluded Falun Gong practitioners from applying. Her story was later featured in a documentary called In the Name of Confucius. An ongoing petition on change.org is calling for the closure of all remaining CIs in British Columbia. Coming up, graffiti in Beijing. Residents are angry over authorities' COVID-19 testing policies. And in the UK, the prime minister election. For the first time, China is among topics that are being debated. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Residents in Beijing are pushing back on authorities' COVID-19 testing policies. In some areas of the city's central business district, graffiti opposing local testing mandates has appeared on virus testing stations. In one case, someone painted a single Chinese character onto eight stations in a row. Together, the characters read, quote, It's been three years and I'm apathetic. Another piece of graffiti displays a famous quote in red and black, reading, give me liberty or give me death. The famous slogan is attributed to American politician Patrick Henry. It was part of a speech he gave in 1775 in Virginia, rallying colonists against British taxation and rule. More recently, the quote was used during the June 4, 1989 pro-democracy movement in China. That's when Chinese military troops violently clamped down on students who had gathered to protest, requesting democracy and better access to education. It later became known as the Tiananmen Square Massacre. In around two weeks' time, the UK's next prime minister will be revealed. While the rising cost of living has dominated campaign debate, China is also among the election's issues. Both candidates have said they'll harden their stance on Beijing. Here's NTD's Jane Wirrell with the details. Voting for the next prime minister is now underway. Both Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss have said that if they get the keys to number 10, they'll be tough on Beijing. We take a look at what their China policies could look like in reality and how important it is for Conservative Party members. How high up on the agenda are UK-China relations for Conservative Party members? 
Well, I, I'm really pleased that the issue is, is uh, an issue in the leadership race. And I think it's probably the first leadership election where China has even been mentioned, uh, let alone uh, debated. Um, and it's interesting to see the two candidates sort of vying with each other to, to see who, who can sound uh, stronger. Um, and I'm particularly interested that Rishi Sunak, um, who I always thought as chancellor was uh, more pro um, the, the business uh, relationship with China, um, has felt the need to come out so, so strongly. So I welcome uh, all of that. Um, and I think for ordinary Conservative Party members, I mean, it's obviously not the major issue. I mean, the cost of living, um, uh, other economic issues, uh, public services, the NHS, obviously uh, much closer to people's, uh, most people's priorities. But I think um, because of things that have happened in the last few years, um, what's happened in Hong Kong, the uh, increasing awareness about what's happened to, to the Uyghurs, um, as well as, of course, the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, the debate over Huawei and a number of other issues. People are much more aware of the challenges China poses uh, than they used to be. So I think it, it is an issue that people would be thinking about. And you touched on this, um, Rishi Sunak, he changed his tune recently, announcing a tougher line on China. So how do the two contenders, UK-China policies, compare? Well, I think Liz Truss probably has a stronger track record uh, on China. I mean, she, even before she was foreign secretary, she was uh, speaking out uh, uh, about China. Um, certainly as foreign secretary, she's, she's been very outspoken. Admittedly, I would say um, it's mostly been rhetoric. Um, there has, there's been less in terms of concrete policy. Um, but I think she, she can lay claim to a, to a stronger track record of, of speaking out. Um, uh, Rishi Sunak uh, did come out with some specific uh, policy uh, pledges, um, particularly on Confucius Institutes um, and I, I think a number of other uh, issues. Um, and, and so I welcome that. Um, uh, and we'll have to see, you know, hopefully they'll uh, say more about it before the race ends. And whichever one of them wins, I, I hope they will translate it from rhetoric in, into action. Sunak also committed to review all UK-Chinese research partnerships, which could assist China's military. We'll find out in the coming months how these policies transpire. Following a talk for Hong Kongers discussing the two contenders' UK-China policies, we caught up with Telegraph columnist Juliet Samuel, who was a speaker at the event. It's interesting, it's coming up tonight, um, about Boris Johnson's stance on China. So what did you make of Boris Johnson's China stance? Uh, Boris Johnson was extremely soft and I would say delusional on China. He really had this image of Anglo-Chinese uh, relations that dated back to a previous era, to this so-called golden era, um, when you know the UK and China were trying to, to warm up relations. He'd done a trip to Beijing back in the day where he'd had a wonderful time and he'd ridden a Boris, ridden a Boris bike around and all these people were cheering him and he still had this idea that there was a golden goose that we could capture, there was a huge trade opportunity and he hadn't really caught up with you know the camps in Xinjiang, um, Covid, Hong Kong, you know, he, that hadn't really percolated through into his brain as this is a fundamentally sinister malign regime, we cannot do business with them. He still retained um, a lot of illusions and he stopped a lot of policy that would have opened, you know, opened our eyes and, and educated the government on the threat we're facing. 
Well, such a foreign registration act has already been implemented in the US and Australia. It's designed to discourage affiliation with the Chinese regime and to increase transparency. Now, Liz Truss does appear to be the front runner of this leadership race, but we, of course, won't know who the winner will be until Boris Johnson's replacement is announced in September. Jane Worrell, NTD News, London. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. But before you go, here's a short glimpse into this Thursday's special report. Driving our daily lives, from batteries and electric vehicles to the colors in our smartphones to our most advanced military weapons, rare earth and critical minerals are at the heart of our modern life. In this special report, we look at what China's dominance in the world's rare earth means for us how that impacts every sector of society from civilian to defense, do what the U.S. can do now to turn the tide. Presenting the heritage of traditional Chinese martial arts, promoting martial ethics and reviving the true tradition. The 2022 NTD International Traditional Chinese Martial Arts Competition Preliminaries will be held in New York and Taiwan. On August 28th, the finals will be broadcast live online worldwide. Registration hotline 188-477-9228. For more information, please visit martialarts.ntdtv.com.